0: The following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Hiya. Mm. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your presence is here among us this morning. But we want more of you. Father, we ask that you would, sp- that you would speak this morning. That your spirit would communicate your truth uh, to us from y- your word today. We love you, Lord, and we trust you not just with our eternity, but with our today. So we pray that you would guide us in your word and instruct us how to live. For we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. we okay. We uh, go back to 1st Timothy chapter 5 this morning, verse 17 through 25, page 993 in the Pew Bible, if that's helpful to you. 1st Timothy 5, start of verse 17. Uh, it has been m- m- my experience in a church in New England, that there are few more ignored biblical instructions in the church than the instructions uh, on the leadership structure and government and oversight of the church. The churches that I grew up in, maybe you did too, um, were uh, congregationally governed. If that's a familiar term to you. It meant that all the members get to vote on everything, on every major decision, um, the budget, the color of the carpet—you know, the really important stuff. Um, well, you didn't get to vote on that, did you? <laughs> I remember being a strong supporter of this philosophy once upon a time, and I even stood in a meeting of the membership in strong opposition when the church that I grew up in started talking about having an eldership, uh, but mostly because I didn't trust the men that I knew would become the elders. Well, it's not every church is perfect like this one, just saying. Um, But eldership is God's design for his church, and since he is God, and a church belongs to him, and he came up with the idea anyway, he alone has the right to say how it should be set up. That's why it's so important to understand what the Bible really says about the church and how it should function. And I praise God that we as a church his grace, have been able to freely follow the eldership model of church. Now, with that in mind, we're going to look at our text for this morning, 1 Timothy five seventeen through 25. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who's, who labor in preaching and teaching. going on before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Now that's all pretty self-explanatory. Hmm. Well, in order to better understand these instructions, this kind of fruit salad of instruction here, we must first have a good handle on Timothy's role within the church uh, in in Ephesus. After all, it can't mean to us what it never meant uh, to him, to the original audience. We can't make it mean something else. Now, was Timothy the pastor of the church at Ephesus? That's a question. No, you're wrong. I was just looking for an opportunity to... Why bother asking? Yeah. (laughs) Well, he's not really a pastor. He's not as we typically think of pastors. Um, and he wasn't an elder as we typically think of elders either. Though his role did encompass these different, uh, it did, um, encompass teaching and shepherding the church. But it also went beyond that. Timothy had a special job, just like Paul had a special job. Um, they they weren't pastors exclusively or elders as it were Timothy like Paul is an apostle uh he was an apostolic representative uh and this is an office that no longer functions in the same way as it did within the church in the New Testament because we have the scripture uh has taken the place he had special authority to set things uh things in place and leaders in place within the churches and he could ordain pastors and elders and release them to do the work of the ministry. Is that noise bothering you? All I can hear is wind blowing on the microphone. Sorry. So I was saying something important about something. (laughs) Hey, that was just for you guys. Good job. Uh, okay, so Timothy had a special job. He could put leaders in place. He could put uh, um, guidelines in place for the church. He was also called to do the work of an evangelist. Uh, and when he did that work, uh, was he was also to gather those who did put their faith in Christ, uh, gather them together into churches, and set. Those churches in order. This is the work of an apostle. Um, the closest thing we have to apostles now would be church planters. You go to an area where there isn't a church or whatever, uh, whatever area God calls, and you preach the gospel, gather believers together uh, into churches, and and start a church family like that. Um, I wouldn't call them apostles, but I'd call them church planters. It's very similar to the work that, uh, that we did when the Lord called us here. We start everything over again. We start with a building. We kept the building and the phone number and everything else changed. We should have changed the phone number, but oh well. It's hindsight is 2020. 20. I change it now, but maybe I still will. So it's only been six years. Why not? All right, anyway, forgot that. So all the instructions on how to arrange churches are already written out for us to follow in the Bible. Nobody needs to rewrite these rules or these guidelines. They're already here in the Scripture. So because Timothy had this special office, he had the responsibility to put things in their proper order because things are out of order in Ephesus. And that's pretty much what this whole letter has been about, um, setting things in order. Now, Back in chapter 3, Paul described the qualification of elders, and he calls them overseers. And here in chapter 5, he describes in a little more detail how to choose elders and some guidelines for them in their work. Verse 17 said, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who, who labor in preaching and in teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, I admit that this text is difficult. Uh, it's uncomfortable for me to preach on because it involves me and my financial support. Uh, so, I don't preach this because I'm campaigning for a raise. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> All right. But if the Spirit moves. <clears throat> no. Moving on. See, that's why I don't like to talk about this. At the beginning of chapter 5, Paul outlined how the church should support or honor or give honorarium to those widows who are truly widows. You remember that from last week. And here he is saying that if it is important to support the truly poor among us then so also we should support those whose responsibility it is to lead us well and feed us well from God's word. Uh, Ray Stedman said, and I'm paraphrasing here, respect is the first honor, which is due to all the elders, and remuneration is the second honor, which allows preachers to focus solely on preaching and teaching and not earning a living elsewhere. Now, when when we first got here, when my family and I first moved to Ossipee, because of the, the dire condition of the, of the church here, I had to work outside the church at the Old Navy, folding T-shirts and doing shipping and receiving. This divided my time and attention uh, to the hectic schedules that accompany working in retail. Some of you are familiar with that. But by God's grace, as the church started over and began to grow, I was able to go full-time here at the church and give up working in a store in order to meet our family's needs. And now I'm able to fully devote my time and attention to the work that God has called me to, and this is how it should be. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 25.4 in verse 18, where he says, "...you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain." and he also quotes a prominent a common proverb that Jesus even quoted if you see in red letters there the laborer deserves his wages paul had written about this before in his letter to the galatians in chapter 6 verse 6 he says let the one who is taught the taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches and also in 1 corinthians 9:14 The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So this is not just a a principle set down on one verse. We didn't fortune cookie this one. This is a, a, a pattern in scripture. And it also shows us that it's not what, it's not the oxen that the Father is concerned about. After all, it would be cruel to make a hungry ox walk back and forth over the grain that is its food while it's being processed and not allow them to eat some of it. 1 Corinthians 9, 9 through 11 tells us about that truth. It says, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have shown spiritual, sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Now these words have a bad taste in my mouth, but you get the point. Um, So we move on. Verse 19 of First Timothy 5. says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these truths without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Okay. Well, there are two sides... To this coin when it comes to considering accusations against an elder. Um, this is not just a pastor but an elder within a church. And I, just as an aside, when you hear the word pastor and the word elder, in the New Testament they're interchangeable words. Uh, even in First Timothy, we've used the word elder and overseer. Same thing. Presbyter um, it's. It's Greek. They mean this: the same person, the same office uh, of overseer, a bishop, elder, pastor, it's all interchangeable. So, uh, think about this coin of, um, uh, considering accusations against an elder. On the one side of the coin, we have protection for, for the elder against, uh, accusation just willy-nilly. Um, Timothy was instructed not to entertain an accusation without there being two or three witnesses to provide evidence of wrongdoing. Uh, this is huge. Um, most of you have not been pastor or elder before, um, but this um, idea of not entertaining accusation given by just one person unfounded and no other evidence or witnesses is huge. There are hardly any more hated people in the world than truth-tellers. And that is exactly what our pastor, pastors and elders are supposed to be. If there's no one in the world uh, allowed to tell the truth, it's these men. This is the work that we are called to do, to say the hard thing and bring sin to light. And bring people to repentance. And I don't know if you know this, but not everybody likes that or <laughs> likes being told that they're wrong or having their uh, sin exposed or whatever or be, just be challenged on things. Nobody likes that. There's not a lot of people uh, signed up for that group. Uh, come to our uh, group. It would tell you that you're wrong about everything. Very popular. Very popular. Well, sometimes people retaliate against correction. And they retaliate with false accusations. And because this instruction is not heeded that we've read here in 1 Timothy, on the word of one person, careers and ministries and lives are destroyed. So Timothy is instructed and we are instructed to make sure that the charge against the elder is real and the evidence is real. And this is serious stuff. The warning is against allowing frivolous accusations of stupid little things or misunderstandings that could easily be cleared up with a conversation in private. We can't allow people that make up things, make up accusations to destroy lives in ministry And we're talking about actual sin, like charge of actual sin, not just a difference of opinion. The design is to protect the elders from accusations about that. But if they are found to be truly sinning, this is a different story. That's the other side of the coin. If they are found to be truly in sin and refuse to repent, this is where verse 20 comes in. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. A part of the role of an elder is to provide an example for the rest of the church family, even if that means public rebuke when they refuse correction. I admit I have no experience in this area and I pray it stays that way forever. (laughs) clock is ticking living on borrowed time Paul displays how important not only these instructions are but that he remain that uh, Timothy and the elders remain unswayed by preference or prejudice or partiality when it comes to dealing with elders it's very easy to let the good old boys network take over And these are my buddies, and I'll never let anybody uh, disparage them. And Paul took it seriously when he says in verse 21, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Plain favorites within the church... Showing partiality to some and prejudice against others is insulting to the body of our Lord Jesus. That was given so that every man and every woman would be given equal standing at the foot of the cross and that by faith in him we would all together be co-heirs with Jesus of God's eternal kingdom. Playing favors is Bad. It's bad. And finally, Paul warns young Timothy to choose wisely when it came to appointing elders. In verse 22, he says, "...do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure." In verse 24, "...the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment." But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Yes, I know I skipped verse twenty three. We'll get back to it. Don't you love parenthetical statements? The laying on of hands. I used to get this wrong um, a lot. I think uh don't don't be hasty, laying on of hands. Period. End of story. That means uh, like uh, lay hands on someone for healing or for prayer or whatever. That's what I thought. And this is what happens when you fortune cookie verses. Take them out of their context. Don't lay hands on people. Okay, does that, don't lay violent hands on people. Or just lay hands, don't, don't be hasty, lay hands on prayer. Better be sure you know what you're doing. Nope, that's not what Paul talked about at all. That's, that's taking it out of context. See how important it is. The laying on of hands indicate, indicated the recognition of a man being set apart for the work of eldership. Paul says, don't rush. Don't ignore the man's life and testimony, but be patient and truly examine his life. Don't rush in. Well, we need some elders. Anybody interested? Throw your hand up. Come on. We'll lay hands on you and pray. That's it. Paul says, No, don't do that. Don't be hasty to throw somebody in to leadership. Warm bodies are not a good um, it's not good. Mm. We cannot Oh. The temptation is to take the good with the bad, right? Uh, but the truth is all you get is bad when that happens. We cannot overlook the sin in a man's life in order to put into to work. We cannot be hasty and make assumptions. We must carefully observe the whole of a man's life before putting them in this shared place of leadership and shepherd of the flock. Hmm. The warning is that if you know about a man's sin and ignore it and appoint him to eldership, you are participating in his sin with him. Now, this is not to say you can only find uh, only perfect people who don't sin at all are worthy of considered to be elders because we've messed that up already. Um, that's not, not at all. But we're talking about hidden sin, um, habitual sin. It says in verse 24, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. The point is there when considering eldership and really the truth applies to all of us is that goodness or the goodness or wickedness of a person is not always immediately apparent. That means you can't just tell by looking somebody if they do good works or not. Maybe you never see the good works that they do and you just see them lean up against the wall with their hands in their pockets, you never see them do anything. I never see you care for widows and orphans. You never do anything. But you don't know. You don't see their whole life. You don't see where they uh, direct their um, m- m- beneficence. Uh, there, write that down. All right? This might send money all over the world for the gospel. We don't know that. You don't know that. And it's the same thing with wickedness. Well, I'd never seen him murder anyone. Pfft, he must be alright. You know, just because his last business he cheated people and, and stole from people and lied. And, he's, he's mostly honest. Is he good enough? No. There are those whose sin goes before them like a herald announcing their presence, blowing a trumpet. And we all know folks like this, because you're all here. And those who, op- I, so, I just couldn't help that one. We all know people in, in, in all seriousness, people that openly embrace wickedness. They like it. And there are just as many others who appear decent on the outside at first glance, but their closets and their hearts are full of deceit and wickedness, and we just never see it. And there are those who are known for their good deeds and philanthropy, and we may rush to appoint them to leadership, even though there may be others who do their good deeds in secret and don't let their right hand know what their left hand is doing. In both cases, cases our instruction is to be patient. Do not be hasty. The Father has it under control. We don't need to rush. We need to be diligent. Mm in considering those who would be appointed in the watch care of the church family. So, I know the reason that you all came here this morning was to hear about verse 23. (laughs) Paul's parenthetical statement, yeah. What about drinking wine in old Timmy's tummy trouble? That's why I got out of bed this morning, just to talk about that. Verse 23 says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, I think we could start a whole denomination on this verse. (laughs) It seems clear from the text that this verse is connected to Paul's instruction at the end of verse 22 when he says, Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure. Don't get involved in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. It appears that Timothy's practice of keeping himself pure may have gone beyond temperance to total abstinence of the use of alcohol, and those who oppose drinking of any kind, the use of alcohol in any way other than medicinal purposes um, uh, say that this this scripture is only talking about the use of wine for as a medicine for medicinal purposes only which in my view, ignores a lot of the rest of the Bible. The Bible clearly prohibits drunkenness, but Paul does not tell Timothy to get drunk so his stomach would feel better. I can tell you from experience it's quite the opposite. Doesn't work that way. (laughs) You knew you'd be able to get an amen in there. Timothy allowed his desire for moral purity to move beyond what was healthy for him. Uh, this is a philosophy called asceticism, and it was rampant in the church in that time, and quite honestly, it still is. The Holy Spirit and the scriptures give us freedom and ability to discern the difference between use and abuse. So Paul is not instructing Timothy to abuse wine or alcohol, but that he is free to use it. I, I could speculate about the water quality of the first century, and he might have had amoebic dysentery because of foul. Pff, uh, let's just stay with the idiot side view. That's where I like to live. And we don't have to read into all of that. anyway we have freedom uh to freedom from asceticism to saying no to things that are good in order to be more holy uh, that's the instruction here for timothy you don't have to uh you should not participate in asceticism it does not bring glory to god The long and the short of it is that God does have a plan and design for his church, the collection of his children. And when we stick to his plan, we are assured of his blessing. And our church family has surely been blessed as we have worked hard to stick close to God's plan for his church and forget about the the rules and traditions made up by men but to stick close to what the Scripture really says about how we're supposed to live, not just as individuals, but together as a family. I think that's really important. And we are blessed by the Lord, I think, because of it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, we may not right now be in the process of looking for new elders or uh, or appointing people to um, to lead and to shepherd and to teach um, but it's important for us to recognize that you have a design for those things for us and I thank you Lord that we have enjoyed the freedom to follow your word in this way I pray Lord that we would all take this seriously because your plans and thoughts about the church are important more important than ours and we thank you lord that you have been clear enough in your instruction in your word that we would know um, where to start and how to do some things i thank you that uh, we have the freedom to adjust things to our own context without leaving the principle that you've laid down behind lord we thank you that you love us so much that you have given us these family guidelines to live by so that we're not left uh, just to wonder and make up things on our own. We've seen over and over through Scripture and, and in our own experience how poorly that goes when people start making up their own religious rules. God, I thank you that the gospel is involved there's not, uh, we're not separated it here when we're, from it here, when we talk about these things. But you're showing your love for us. You're showing that you have a desire for us to live in a better way than we know on our own. And we're grateful for that. We thank you that you love us like a father. We thank you that you loved us enough to send your son to die in our place in a cross that we would be able to be adopted as your children by faith. We're so thankful. Lord, if there's any here this morning that have not come to faith in you, have not put their trust in you, not just with their salvation and the forgiveness of sin, but the direction of their life in total, that's what we're dealing with here this morning. I pray that that we would all renew our commitment to you, that we would embrace your forgiveness and turn from our sin and entrust our lives in the direction of our lives to you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.